For the remainder of our worship service today, I want to direct your attention to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. There goes the dinosaur. The book of Acts records the progress of the gospel. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to take the message and you're going to take it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now to those disciples, in their brain, if you talk to them about the ends of the earth, they would be thinking to Spain, that's one end of the earth, down as low as Ethiopia, and across to India. That was the earth that they knew. And so even the Apostle Paul, when he was going to take the gospel to Europe, he would just crave, like, someday I'm going to get to Spain. Okay? He wasn't thinking about the beaches in Spain. He was thinking about the people in Spain that needed to hear the message of Jesus. Now, Florida would later become part of Spain for 300 years. And so I think that we could just name the Apostle Paul as an honorary member of Peace River Baptist Church. (laughs) Well, Paul and his team were the first people that took the gospel of Jesus into Europe and into the country of Greece. And they landed at Neapolis, and then they had a few believers in the city of Philippi. Then they went to Thessalonica. That's still a great, huge city there today. And they had a multitude of people who believed in Jesus. Then they went to Berea, and many people believed in Jesus. And in all three of those places, Paul had to leave abruptly for safety reasons. And then he went to Athens. And while he was in Athens waiting for the rest of his team to join him, we pick up this in Acts chapter 17. And verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. We'll pick it up there in a couple of minutes. Paul's spirit was provoked at seeing the idol worship. Is your spirit ever provoked when you see the people around you that are either living in active rebellion against God or more often just totally oblivious that there's any different kind of life that they could be having? And as Paul was there, he started talking to people about Jesus and the resurrection. That was the most prominent message that the apostles took all over the world was the fact that there is a resurrection We tend to emphasize in our preaching that Jesus died for your sins. Absolutely true. And I just want you to know that the emphasis was even more so on the resurrection than his death. After all, people died every day. But nobody ever rose from the dead. That was the big news that we were going to spread around the world, that Jesus had risen from the dead. So Paul is speaking to the Jews in a synagogue and to everyone else in the open marketplace. And there's two groups of people mentioned. The Epicureans were people who believed that life is all about pleasure. 
That's the purpose of life. And there is no life after death. The Stoics, they believe that God is every, in everything and in all men. And the idea, the purpose of life was to live a life of virtue. Now these two groups brought Paul to a place, we'll pick it up here reading in verse 19. And they, those two groups, took him, Paul, and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I want you to know that that drive to to have the latest, the greatest, the newest information, that same drive is what drives Google, social media today. I'm not going to go on a rant against social media. I've got a lot more important things to say than that. But I've read that if you have 100 Facebook friends, for example, then you have new content every day. If you have 500 Facebook friends, you have new content every hour. But once you get to 1,000 Facebook friends, you have new content every minute. That you could literally spend your entire life just scrolling through Facebook. And it is a human thing. And I want you to know that it is a trap that even Christians can fall into, that we have to have that latest content. And um, God, though, when we see the life of Jesus, he was not ever in this rushed frenetic state of mind. Now we get to verse 22, and Paul gets to have a chance to speak. And as far as sermons and speeches go, this was short. In fact, I measured it, and it was nearly to the word, the same length as the Gettysburg Address. When Abraham Lincoln stood there and spoke for less than two minutes, and when Paul stood here and gave this speech, I recorded myself, I timed timed myself. It takes less than two minutes to recite this entire message that he spoke. Now, if Paul was in the synagogue, he would have opened up the scriptures and he would have explained to them about lambs being sacrificed and the covenant that God made with Abraham. But on the Areopagus, that would not have connected As we desire to take the gospel of Jesus to the world, we have to make a connection between what people already know and lead them into what they need to know about Jesus. If someone already knows the Bible, they already know the doctrines of God, you'd start at Romans 3.23 and say, we've all sinned against God. But what if somebody doesn't know what sin is? What if somebody doesn't know who God is? In some cases, people don't know what the word love means and they don't know what it means to have a father. So how do you tell somebody about the wonderful love of the father? And so we have to start with what people do know. I also want to say that the places in the Bible are real places. This Areopagus thing, you can go there. You can get on a plane, go to Athens and climb up that hill yourself. Or you can go on YouTube and see somebody else who took a video of it. And it's not that dramatic of a location. It's 
today there's nothing left on the top of this hill except bare rock. And so there's stairways that lead up there and you can look out over the city of Athens or you can look up and see the ruins on the Acropolis. But there is a plaque at the bottom of the stairway that has the entire message of Paul's speech in Acts 17. Of course, it's written in Greek, but it's, it, the whole thing is right there, only about three feet high. So I want you to listen to Paul's sermon, and then I want you to be ready to hear ten takeaways, which are in your bulletin insert. Here's the entire speech. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this all by raising him from the dead. Now when he mentioned raising him from the dead, that brought an end to Paul's speaking. And we'll see why. They just couldn't, uh, couldn't take that teaching. Notice that the very first thing that he said, what he, he What he did not say. Paul did not get up there and say, Men of Athens, you guys are ridiculous. How could you think these things are true? What, are you demented or something? You know, he didn't start out insulting them. If I were running for president... (laughs) I would not start out by insulting the people that I want to vote for me. But that is where we are in our country right now, is you just it make everybody else look to be like they would destroy the world if they got voted in. You're not, and, and sometimes in churches we do the same thing. Uh, we just insult the people that we want to win to Christ. And that's not helpful. And we need to make the connection. And so he said, men of Athens... I perceive that you are religious. You know, there's a movie out, many of you saw, The Jesus Revolution. And, you know, many people saw those hippies as lost causes. They saw them as lazy, 
unpatriotic, drug-using fornicators. That may have been factual, but some people who lived among them said, these people are searching. They're searching for the meaning of life. And you, the churches, you know the meaning of life. Why are you not out there telling them what it is instead of criticizing them for the looking weird? So, and they said, what they're doing, they're, they're, they're using drugs and sex, trying to find satisfaction in life, and that's going to be a dead end worse than they started with. But you as the churches know the answer, so let's give it to them. I looked for a friend, not knowing that he had all of the time been looking for me. More bluegrass than hippie, but it came from that era of time. <laughs> Paul's making a connection with these men of Athens. He said, I, I even saw that you have a statue that says, To the unknown God. I am here today to proclaim to you the God that you don't yet know. On your handout, there are ten takeaways from this. And the very first thing is this. God made the world and everything in it. There is one God who is the creator. I am so thankful for the ministries like Answers in Genesis, Creation Research Institute, the debunked video series, those things give us tools to use. But to people who are not familiar with the Bible, you don't just jump into Romans 3.23. You have to say, hey, there is a God who created us and he, created, he made the world and everything that is in it. And so sometimes we need to know God as our creator as our foundational truth before we can learn to know him as our Savior or our Father. Second, he is Lord. He is the Master. You know, Americans these days are not good at submitting to authority. We're not good at submitting to the parents to school leaders, to law enforcement officers, to presidents. But we need to learn as humans that there will always be someone who is in authority over you that you need to submit to. And if you don't learn to submit to our earthly authorities, then how are we going to learn to submit to God? One day everyone will. One day every tongue will confess that you are God. One day, every knee will bow, but it is better for us to recognize it now. When we come to God in prayer, in our lives, we come to him in confidence, we come to him in intimacy, but we do not come to him lightly. And we, we present ourselves to God and say, God, you are holy, you are good, you are gracious, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you today? We need to be ready to say, yes, Lord. He is our master. Number three, God doesn't live in buildings. Now, this is on Mars Hill. He's surrounded by the buildings that the Greeks had made. Temples all over the place. But Paul is presenting to them that God is not limited to a building. 
Jesus said the same thing to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, The time is coming and now is when neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain, but you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Our worship is invisible. Our worship is in that immaterial, eternal spirit that we have. It's the spirit comes from inside and it comes in truth. Anybody can fake worship and go into a temple and perform rituals. But Jesus said, the Father craves your real worship in spirit and in truth. Number four, God does not need us. We need him. If we stopped doing right now what humans do, it would not phase God a bit. But if God were to stop for one minute what he does, we would all be dead. That's the takeaway from Paul's message. God doesn't need us, we need him. Number five, from one blood, from one man, God made all men. Mark it down as a truth of scripture. There is only one human race. There are many ethnicities. They bring diversity, traditions, knowledge, skills to our world. But you need to know that racism is evolutionary at its core. And it is insulting to God. And it is a sin it is a sin in America, and it is a sin anywhere else where it happens. And it's brought to people's attentions that we have racism that exists, we have prejudice that exists, but we're blind to it. It would be appropriate to say, search me, O God, and know my heart today, and see if there be any racism in me. Say, well, the scripture says, see if there be any wickedness in me. But I'm telling you that racism is wicked. You know, it bothers me that that the church of Jesus should be in the front lines of breaking down the barriers between ethnicities. But even here in Punta there are churches that are meeting right now that only have a few black people and there are churches meeting right now that only have a few white people. If I could figure out how to make it happen, I would. Maybe we could switch choirs for the day. There's some black church in our city that, you know, maybe we could combine the choirs or trade a soloist or trade the preacher or something Just one time before I die, I'd like to be preaching and have somebody sitting at the organ playing a chord in between every sentence. We we could celebrate the diversity that God has placed into our world. And, And that diversity is carried over even beyond the world that we live in. You ever read Revelation chapter 5? From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. The diversity of ethnicities is at the throne of God. Now some people 
preachers, I've heard them, if they actually dare to talk about racism in church, then they get all high and like, okay, this is it. Now, if you're not, if, if, if you're racist, then there's the door. If you're racist, I don't want you to leave. I want you to change. If you have a swearing problem, I don't want you to leave. I want you to change. God can put new words into your mouth. If you have a drinking problem, I don't want you to leave. I want you to change. If you're gay, I don't want you to leave. I want you to change. And if you're racist, I don't want you to leave. I want you to change. The church is a place to change. That should not be a radical statement. The church is made up of people whose lives have been changed by the power of Jesus. Blind people get to see. Spiritually dead people come to life. There is change that happens in a church. Number six. God is not hidden. Even though they had built a trophy to the unknown God, it was not God's idea to be unknown. Somewhere, if, if, if you do not know God, then somewhere in your family tree, somebody, somebody was not thankful to God, somebody didn't teach the next generation of God. And then you have the burden of rediscovering what was there the whole time. Number seven, God is not far away. God is close enough to hear your prayer, your whisper, your whimper. God is everywhere. And one atheist had a store and he put up a sign in it that said, God is nowhere. And this little girl comes skipping along and she's learning how to read and she says, God is now here. (laughs) Number eight, God commands all men everywhere to repent. To repent just simply means to change direction. Usually it means in the scripture to change the direction of your mind. Change the way that you're thinking. Those false teachings that maybe you believed were true, you have to leave those behind, turn from those false things, and love Jesus instead. Sometimes it's a pathway of sin that you know is a sin and it's taking you away from God, and so the repentance is turning from that sin, but turning to Jesus. It could as simply be a self-centeredness, and God is saying, turn from yourself and your own fleshly passion and turn to Jesus. Serve him and be able to say, yes, master. Number nine, God will judge the world. At that very spot that they were standing, the Areopagus, in 399 B.C., they sentenced Socrates to death. 
Now, um, we're Americans. Americans like to live in a judgment-free zone. And there are certainly warnings in the scripture about judging. Jesus would be the first to say, before you try to pick the sawdust out of somebody's eye, you've got to get the two-by-four out of your own. And the Bible tells us if mercy can triumph over judgment whenever we can, but the scripture also says that part of our life as Christians, why we don't seek revenge every single time that it could be sought, is because we serve a God and he will take care of it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But Americans are so into, oh, you can't judge me. You know, I can self-identify to whatever I want to be. It's, you don't judge me for that. You're not perfect either. We're so much into that. I think there will be people, there will be Americans that stand before God and, and like tell God, you can't judge me. But that's the whole point of the whole, whole conversation about judging in the Bible is God is the judge. He is the judge. And everyone will stand before God and be judged guilty or not guilty. And if you're in Jesus Christ, you're not guilty. Without Jesus Christ, you are guilty. Everyone will face the judge. And number 10, here's the proof. The one that God has ordained to be the judge, God gave us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. And this resurrection of Jesus is what caused the uproar, what caused Paul's speech to stop. And verse 32 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some people mocked Paul. You could call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. They thought he was crazy before they ever started listening to him. And so when they got to that point, they're like, that settles it. You know, some people mocked. They called him a babbler. If, if you're a mocker of things of Jesus, I want you to know, I know people who used to mock Jesus and now they love him. Some people were curious. They said, we want to hear some more about this. Let's, can we talk to you again? And if you're in that state of mind right now on your journey of faith where you're curious, you want to hear more about this. If it takes 50 times, 100 times, yes, I'll tell you more. I'll tell you more about Jesus. Explain anything about him that you desire to know. And some believed. Two of them are named. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will meet them someday. You will have the opportunity to. They're just as much saved as I am, Dionysius and Damaris. If you believe, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be rescued. 
you will be saved. God will forgive your sin. He will set you free from sin. He promises to everyone who believes in Jesus, he will adopt you to be his child and give to you eternal life. And just as the grave could not hold Jesus, the grave cannot hold those who die in Jesus. And our whole hope that we base our life and our death on is the resurrection of Jesus. Rather than to something to mock, it is something to treasure. And God is calling on you to say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe that Jesus is the judge. And I believe that when he died, he paid for my sin. Today you can pray, I trust in Jesus. And he will give you everlasting life. Father, thank you for allowing us to visit that scene opening up Acts 17. Lord, I pray mostly that the Spirit of God will interact with our own spirits so that we will understand and believe who Jesus is. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who rose from the dead, showing that he is power over everything. And he has promised to give life and liberty to all who believe in him. I thank you for my life and my freedom. And I desire everyone else to know as well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand together as we sing.